All right, so if you're, this is your first time catching this, this is, I am Dr. Barry Pierre, board certified internist. And every Thursday we get on here and typically we talk about something that kind of comes across our social media feed, some real crazy, some medical, some public health related. Uh, but the last couple of weeks, people have been requesting to kind of hone in some, some specific topics. Last week, we did high blood pressure. And for those who just catch the lives, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share it out. Um, but if you want to catch a replay, I always put these lives on our YouTube channel the next day. So by Friday morning-ish, this uh, live will be on tomorrow's episode, um, tomorrow's YouTube channel. Um, again, link in the bio. Make sure you subscribe to there as well, too. So like the title suggests, we are going to be talking about diabetes. So let me go on my little soapbox. Let me go on my soapbox first about diabetes. And then, you know, we'll get to questions and, you know, some facts, right? So as an, as an internist, I'm a board certified internist, right? So as an internist, one of the most common diseases that walk into my office had to deal with, now I do inpatient medicine now too, but when I was doing outpatient medicine, was always centered around diabetes or even worse, the complications of diabetes. And I'll be honest, when I first started out, you know, say, hey, I want to do medicine and all that. I don't I didn't have anybody in family health. I didn't have anybody with diabetes, but I just always considered uh, diabetes to be this disease of the sugar. Like that was always my thing. Diabetes, sugar, diabetes, sugar. That's all I ever thought about. And of course, me being naive, I was like, well, you know, they just control the blood sugar. Everything's all good. As I've obviously grown, right, and matured and knowledgeed up, I realized just how severe and significant diabetes was on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So I'm going to just spit some, some numbers and some facts for you guys just so we can kind of get a good baseline on how serious diabetes is before we kind of get into questions, right? So, and this is as of 2022, 400 million people worldwide have the diabetes, have diabetes, which makes it the number one chronic disease worldwide. 400 million M's. Sebastian, I see you. I appreciate you for joining. Diabetes is the leading cause for blindness worldwide. Leading cause, far and away. Amputation risks. If you have diabetes, even if it's controlled, your risk for having an amputation because of the diabetes shoots up. And again, the amputation is what really started having me thinking like, you know what? This diabetes may not just be about the sugar, right? Because clearly you're telling me people can't control the sugar and all of a sudden they got to get their foot cut off. Like something else is awry. Something else is different. Uh, it's expensive. $1.3 trillion spent on diabetes year 2021. $1.3 with a T, y'all. So imagine now, again, the capitalistic hat goes in. If y'all follow my lives, y'all know that I keep it real, right? I talk about the money a lot, especially when it comes into healthcare. We are spending $1.3 trillion every single year on diabetes and its complications. This cannot just be a disease about the sugar. This cannot be just a disease about the sugar if $1.3 trillion is getting spent one way or the other. Right. It's a wild thing. Right. Um, and we'll talk about it. I see y'all questions. We'll talk about that. 
Uh, preventable complications include heart disease, kidney disease, vision loss. We talked about uh, type 1 diabetes typically occurs in kids. Uh, that's usually when we find it. Uh, gestational diabetes as well. Sleep apnea is associated with diabetes. Uh, gum, di- gum disease, right, in the mouth. Oral disease associated with diabetes. Alzheimer's associated with diabetes. Skin complications associated with diabetes, y'all. When I tell you that this disease that I used to think was all about the sugar, right, be like knocking me out my foot when I think I'm like, hold on now. Like all of these problems are associated with the diabetes. That's an issue, right? That is an issue we got to deal with ASAP. I want to say that point. So let's talk about this fact, right? So I see some questions, right? So again, kind of going back, I'm doing outpatient medicine. I'm seeing patients left and right with diabetes or diabetes related issues, right? And let's talk about it, right? And I kind of, I kind of, I kind of sped through some of the complications, right? But let's talk about from head, we'll start from head to toe. Let's start from the brain. Complications associated with diabetes in the brain. Stroke is probably the most common one, right? We kind of mentioned Alzheimer's. We're seeing dementia be associated with those who have diabetes. Again, we're not just talking about diabetes that's controlled, not controlled. Just having it has you at increased risk for developing dementia, increased risk for developing Alzheimer's, increased risk for developing depression, right? Just having the disease. The eyes, of course, number one cause for blindness worldwide. It is a common term known as diabetic retinopathy, which essentially is diabetes affecting the retina. And this is, it was probably a few years ago when I started really turning that corner and thinking, man, diabetes is really a very vascular disease extremely a vascular disease because when I start mentioning all of the things that diabetes affects, you're going to see how the vasculature is affected, right? So we have this process where if our blood sugars and the way we process blood sugars not being controlled, right, deals with that effect, right? Someone says, is it related to having cataracts? No, it is a kind of a separate process. Um, the diabetes in regards to um, the eyes more affects the vasculature, the, the retinal veins and arteries, uh, but not necessarily cataracts. It's just more of a pacification uh, of the eyes, right? So a different process there. Um, oral health, uh, gum disease is, you'd be surprised, a couple couple things. I've, I said this on last week's live that people in the optometry eye field and dentists are usually the first people to recognize, hey, you know what? Like either your blood pressure is bad or your, your your diabetes is under control, right? Like that's usually like those people are the first sign because they're looking in your eyes, they're looking in your mouth and they say, hey, something is wrong. Something is wrong, right? So oral disease for sure, heart disease, of course. And when I tell you that diabetes and hypertension play this like tag where like when I'm talking about the number one, number two causes for like heart disease, it's like kind of neck and neck. Um, for high blood pressure and uncontrolled diabetes or just diabetes in and of itself uh, from that perspective. Uh, kidney disease, the number one or number two cause for patients ending up on dialysis is associated with diabetes, y'all. And again, like you're thinking, what, what is diabetes doing to the kidneys? Again, it's damaging the arterial vascular system in the kidneys, 
right? It's doing that and then boom, now you're on dialysis on top of everything else, right? So this is not the disease. And I, I've said this before. I've said this in passing. I probably said it publicly too. Diabetes is not a disease I would wish on my enemy, right? I just wouldn't wish it on my enemy because of the, unless you really, really hate that person, right? Unless it, unless you really, really hate that person, I would not wish diabetes on my enemy. I just wouldn't, right? It just, it's, it's, a, it's just a simple thing there. Um, you hear a lot of people, you see a lot of commercials about neuropathy, right? So diabetes also affects nerves and how nerves send signals to the brain, right? So nerve damage is pretty common with patients with diabetics. And again, these are patients who have controlled diabetes. Controlled diabetes end up with nerve damage as well, right? So you got all these factors there. We talked about blood pressure, um, amputations, of course, right? And then, uh, and then just because of the vascular issues associated with diabetes, and the poor blood flow that gets associated with diabetes, yeah, poor blood flow in the kidneys, yeah, poor blood flow in the heart, the brain, also in your lower extremities, right, which is what kind of leads to the amputations, right? Now, if you caught our live a couple weeks ago, we were talking about Deion Sanders and the fact that he's having complications and, you know, issues. like, in fact, I just saw a, I just saw an article says that he has to go back for another surgery, right? Now, again, I don't know Deion Sanders' history, but it would not shock me if he has some type of either diabetic-related disease or hypertension-related disease that affects the blood flow in his lower extremities. It would not surprise me. But again, we're not here to speculate, but just me looking on the outside and saying, man, he has a lot of issues with blood flow in his legs. And a lot of issues with blood flow in the legs usually screams like some type of vascular vascular issue, right? And when I think about vascular problems, of course, diabetes up to the top, right? Hypertension is there, high cholesterol is there, diabetes is right there in the, in the neck of the day. So let's let's get some let's get, let's get to some questions then before before we uh, move on. Well, let me see here. Uh, someone said a uh, good guy eating says because people die, right? So diabetes is one. And when we talk about high blood pressure, we talk about the genetics of things associated with our disease. Uh, but diabetes, yes, there is a strong correlation with the, the intake or just what we're eating. Now, especially here in this country, right? And it's so funny. I have a I have uh, our uh, Medicine Mondays, which is my podcast episode, um, drops next week, right? And I we're, we're talking about foods that in the United States that are banned outside this country. And a surprising, a lot of things that typically gets added to our diet, other countries are like, nah, we're not eating that type of stuff over here. So it no, it does not shock me um, when, you know, diet is the first thing that you have to go after. Right. Because it is this homeostasis balance of what are you taking in? What are you putting out? Like how much energy is I have a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Sylvia Boley. She's a an amazing um, obesity medicine specialist. And she talks about energy in, energy out. She doesn't talk about calorie. That don't mean nothing for her. Energy in, energy out. You're taking a lot of energy in, especially the energy that's either high in carbs, high in fats and high in those types of foods. Where that your body cannot process is going to be a problem. So a lot of times when we are trying to attack someone's diabetes, again, we're not, of course, sometimes we, if we have to do medication, we're going to do medication, but we always go after the diet trying to figure out, hey, what is that you eat? What is it you eat that could be causing a problem? And when you look up treatment for diabetes, 
you're going to get thousands of articles. It's thousands of articles. So if you hear someone say, I got the one surefire way to treat diabetes, they're lying. Right. Because, it, again, it's that combination of what are you taking in? More importantly, what are you putting out? I did a I did a pod episode. Um, it was probably probably maybe a year, year and a half ago of a guy who he wrote a book who uh, I wish I back to me because uh, I don't I, I don't want to like not know this person's name. Well, I'm just like making that. Uh, I'm, I'm let me get his name real sick so we can so I can give him his credit. Da, da, da. Robbie Barbaro. Um, he was writing a book. He he's uh yeah he's a co-founder of Mastering Diabetes. He has he had like a coaching program, and he talked about how his approach to attacking diabetes was a full-on plant-based diet. Full on plant based diet. Because when we hear about diabetes, a lot of times you hear, oh my God, the carbs, the carbs, the carbs. And yes, we know carbs are detrimental for diabetes. And why are carbs bad? Because carbs are get what get broken down to the sugar. But when you're a diabetic, one of the issues you have is that you don't know how to process that appropriately. When you are a type 1 diabetic, you don't have the mechanism to break down the carbs what needs to be so your body can use them. Right, so they get stored up. They get they cause the problems galore. When you have a type two diabetic, again, you have what we call insulin resistance, meaning that all right, I can deal with those carbs at a, a small instance, but I can't deal with it for a lot. Right, but it's not the end all enemy. Because again, when, when he when he mentioned, and again, I should in fact, if you want, let me see, it was uh, if you go to drberrypierre.com forward slash LLP140. Um, that will take you directly to the podcast episode or just go to Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry podcast. It's like episode 140. A full disclosure, I'm on like episode three something. So it's going to, you might look for a while. So that may be the easiest way to do it. Or if you just do Dr. Barry Pierre and diabetes, his episode should pop up. But like, so he eats a lot of carbs, right? Or he eats a lot of foods that have carbs in it, but it's all about his plant-based diet. That's his philosophy. Some people, and I saw a question that talked about keto, right? Some people talked about, hey, what if I avoid carbs altogether? Yes, that can, that, that can definitely help, right? Like if you deprive your body of the carbs, force your body to eat or break down the fats, Yes, that will also help decrease the burden of having to break down the glucose. Now, of course, obviously with keto, there's this issues, you know, top to bottom. But like for the most part, there are different ways to go after diabetes. But at the end of the day, it's all right. How and what can my body manage and what can I manage for the long run? Like that's really all that kind of matters. But First, you know, before I list, you know, thousands of treatment options from a medication standpoint, diet is important because one thing I always tell my patients and one thing, especially in a hospital setting, this happens a lot where a patient will be on, let's say, a diabetic regimen, uh, let's say insulin, 10 units a day. Just, we're making it easy. 10 units a day is all the insulin I take, doc. OK, cool. We in the hospital will start you on that 10 units per day. And then guess what happens? Their blood sugar crashes, right? To the point where it's like, all right, now I can't really give you 10 units a day. Why is that? Because at home, when you're at home and you're free, those 10 units are accounting for what you should be eating plus the extra food that you sneak around here and there. 
That's what those 10 units account for. But what happens in a hospital setting, when you're in a hospital, we only give you your diabetic diet, the total number. That's all you're getting. You're not getting anything extra. So now when I give you that same insulin dose that you usually take at home, you come crashing down because this, your body's like, oh, I'm, like you usually have more carbs in this, so, but it's going to still work. So it's, it's extremely important, especially when we're in the treatment phase of taking care of patients, recognizing like, okay, typically your body would only require this much, but because we know how you like to eat, we know how you like to snack, we're going to... We're going to add a little flavor over there, right? So that's definitely important to kind of note. But the the diet is always key. But again, if you hear one person say, I got the only one way to treat diabetes, you don't want to listen to it because there's, there's different fashions of it as well, too. Um, uh, Adrian says, how to naturally lower the A1C, right? So first of all, let's answer that question. What is the A1C, especially for someone who may not know what A1C is? A1C is our way, the medical way that we look to say, hey, you know what? Let me see how controlled your blood sugar has been in the past 90 days. That's how we look at it. Let me see how controlled has your blood sugar been in the past 90 days. Now, when I was in medical school, when I was in medical school, early residency, the goal was patients six and a half and under which means if, if your A1C was 6.5 and under, right, you were good to go. We didn't have to worry about you, right? You might have, you might hit, if you were six, you might hit that pre-diabetic range, but six and a half, we're not thinking about it like, all right, yep, you're definitely a diabetic. Even though if you are pre-diabetic, your risk for developing into diabetes, if nothing has changed, is like in 10 years. So 10 years or less, you're going to be a diabetic if you're in a pre-diabetic stage. But let's, uh, and again, I'll repeat it just so we uh, can follow how to naturally lower it. So of course you have to figure out, all right, what is the problem that lies, right? What is my big issue as far as food choices, right? What are some of the things that I need to either avoid or enhance from a natural standpoint? Like I said, and that's why I kind of mentioned um, Robbie's book, He's big on the plant-based nutrition. He's big on it. Like he he tries to avoid medic. He tries so many people try to avoid medicine. Again, I don't know why. Whatever, right? I, I well, I understand, but like so many people try to avoid medicine and far, the pharmaceutical, the evil pharmaceutical industry. Right? Some people try to avoid. It. So the ways that they do it is that they go after uh, you know either supplements. They go after foods um, that don't again, aren't prescription-based, but can kind of help them kind of circumvent it. And he was big on trying to go after the plant-based nutritional aspects of food and using that to not only get the energy he needs, because if you're avoiding certain foods, let's say you're avoiding certain carbs, or like if you're avoiding certain foods, but you still want to be active, you got to be able to do both, right? So you got to be able to do both. So he would say, let me go get my plant-based nutrition. I think he even had a book too. Um, get my plant-based nutrition and, and focus on that. Supplements wise, I hear a lot of people do well with magnesium. Magnesium is a very, a lot of people like magnesium. I'm not sure. It's like you talk to people about muscle cramps, they love magnesium. You talk to people with like diabetes, hypertension, they love magnesium. Magnesium is an important electrolyte in our body. Obviously, I think you, you definitely can have too much of it, but your body does a good job getting rid of it if you can. Uh, from that perspective there. Uh, but I, I think 
when you're trying to figure out the natural way to kind of lower it, it's going to be kind of the diet and exercise, right? It's going to be those fasts there, right? There's not too many supplements uh, that can circumvent the things that need to be done, right? Because let's say if you're if you're a type one diabetic, let's say you're a type one diabetic, meaning my body does not create insulin, there's no natural supplement in the world that's going to help you. You need insulin, you because your body's not going to function, or you're going to end up seeing me in the hospital, right? So there's no natural way to get out of, hey, I have no insulin in my body. But if I'm insulin resistant, meaning that like I can handle insulin for a little bit, but I can't handle it if it's too much. That's when the supplements, the plant-based uh, nutrition, that's when those things uh, seem to be of benefit for sure. Uh, good guy Eden says, I, I had to change my diet when I moved overseas. Oh, yeah. And, and it's so funny because I, I just kind of mentioned, uh, you know, our, our, our podcast episode next week about U.S. foods being banned. Right. There's again, the United States diet could likely play a factor. Right. In in regards to the serving size, in regards to possible additives and in regards to GMOs and chemicals that we may add to our foods that other parts of the world don't. Right. So, yes, it does. I think it does play a factor. I think, again, do I think it's the number one cause of it? No. But I again, I, I think when, when you hear and you hear this all the time that people say, man, I go, you know, I go on a trip or I, I go across the country or I go into different parts of the world. And all of a sudden, even though I'm eating just as much, if not more, I'm losing weight. And I think a lot of that has to do with some of the stuff we put in our food. Um, so I, I definitely understand that aspect of uh, having to really switch your diet, especially when you go um, elsewhere. Let's see here. Someone says, oh, I love it. If uh, doctors could cure things instead of just take a pill, life would be better. 100%. 100%. And this is kind of in relation to the fact that $1.3 trillion is spent on dealing with diabetes. $1.3 trillion. And when, when I hear those numbers, I'm already thinking about like, okay, 1.3 trillion, that's that's when patients end up in the hospital because of strokes. That's when patients end up on dialysis. That's when patients end up getting amputations and need physical therapy, occupational therapy. Like I'm just thinking of all of these end stage issues that are occurring with a disease that's the number one chronic disease in the world. So it don't even shock me when I hear that number, right? There are probably specialties in medicine that make their bread and butter off of diabetes. There are probably specialties, think about it, like I'm thinking about it. There are probably specialties in healthcare that make their bread and butter just off diseases like hypertension and the or diabetes and the complications associated with it. And it's it's one of those things where, and this is the catch twenty two of medicine. And I, I've said this before; I've gone on record plenty of times. The issue with medicine is that in medicine, we don't pay to like what I'm doing tonight. Medicine does not pay for that. Like medicine does not pay for your doctor or your primary, especially to educate you to talk to you. That's why they're getting you out in fifteen minutes. They're getting you out in fifteen minutes because. The clock is ticking and I don't get paid to talk. I don't get paid to educate, right? And and I'm, I'm talking about just in medicine, but in general, but like in medicine in general. What I get paid is doing things, right? So if I'm doing a procedure, if I'm doing a surgery, right, I get paid for that. And the less of that I'm doing, the less of the procedures that I'm doing, the less money I'm making. So when you look at any of these physician salaries, 
The people who are always at the, the low end are your pediatricians, your family physicians, your internists. Uh, um, any, I'm trying to think of another specialty that's typically low, but any specialty that involves you doing more education and not doing procedures is going to be on the low end. And on the flip side, any any um, specialty that does a lot of stuff, does a lot of procedures, aka my surgeons, my dermatologists, um, and surgeons, you could just go down the line. Any surgeon is going to make way more than your regular attorney. Like it just, it's just going to happen because they do things and medicine does that. So we have, the, in medicine, we just have this backwards approach. We just have this backwards approach. So think about this. Think about if, man, if I could have got half of the patients who, when they just started out with diabetes, if I could have said, you know what, I'm going to pay for your medications. I'm going to pay for your insulin. I'm going to pay for whatever things you need, because I know if I don't pay for it early, I'm going to have to pay for it later. But we don't think like that in medicine. Like if if I don't pay for it early, aka if I don't put money in on the primary care side, the education side, then I'm gonna have to pay for it with the surgeons who are cutting the foot off, with the nef with the nephrology centers who are doing dialysis, and and I specifically said nephrology centers doing dialysis because uh, the kidney specialists, the nephrologists, they're not actually allowed to own dialysis centers, which is whole nother discussion, right? Like, so I, and I have to pay the hospitals, right? The surgical centers where all these procedures are happening, right? So it's, it's again, we just have a backwards approach uh, when it comes to medicine, but uh, definitely if you started out, um, it, it would be much better for sure. Well, let's see here. Make sure we haven't miss, missed anything. Uh, oh, uh, oh, this is, this is a, um, uh, this is not necessarily associated with uh, diabetes, but um, is, I just found out I have LVH. Is this heart failure? No, no, no. So LVH, which is left ventricular hypertension, this is more of a cardio question, but we can answer it real quick, um, is a, um, a thing that we typically see with patients, usually when you do an ultrasound or a chest x-ray, right? And what does LVH indicate, right? What does that mean? So a couple of things that can cause your left ventricle to hypertrophy, diabetes, um, hypertension, I, like those are probably your two. And now you can have some cardiomyopathy, which is just muscle related disease of the, car, the heart. But typically hypertension, um, diabetes are going to be causes that are likely affecting associated or even arrhythmias are associated with LVH. But no, it does not mean that if you have LVH, which is left ventricular hypertrophy, you're going to get heart failure. But what it does mean is that you have to be cautious because having that again it's it most it's kind of counterintuitive just because my when my left ventricle hypertrophies aka gets bigger my heart actually gets weaker so when my heart gets bigger because of the pressure needed to do what i need to do it actually gets weaker over um time so it is a factor that we look for because down the line, especially if you don't take care of whatever caused the LVH, you can end up in what we call congestive heart failure uh, with associated LVH. Now, that's, you know, just a, but obviously, you know, follow up with your uh, primary or cardio uh, doctor for any, any issues there. Uh, someone says, can diabetes have strange side effects like feeling of water in ears or cold ears? So you can have some, um, neuropathic or skin related sensation issues associated with diabetes, 
typically the textbook classical presentation when people are talking about diabetes is that uh, I eat a lot, I'm drinking a lot, I'm peeing a lot, right? My medical students and my docs on here know this about the three Ps, right? Polydipsia, polyuria, polyphagia, right? I'm eating a lot, I'm drinking a lot, and I'm peeing a lot, but more importantly, I'm losing weight. When someone comes into my office and says, doc, I'm eating everything like crazy, but I cannot seem to gain any weight, I'm concerned that, oh my God, this might be a, a diabetic running crazy. And you may be thinking like, what is, like how? Like, how is it that I can eat a whole bunch, drink a whole bunch, I'm peeing a whole bunch, but I'm not gaining weight? Because the your body cannot break down any of the carbs that you're taking in. So you just start becoming like this fire hydrant, peeing everything out. So you're peeing out all of your nutrients, all of your carbs, everything just leaving. It's just leaving your body. And because it's leaving your body, you can't, your body can't metabolize it, can't break it down. Boom, the weight doesn't happen. Uh, which is why when I tell patients, Hey, I'm going to start treating, especially for patients who come with me like that. Hey, I'm going to start treating. And once I start treating, uh, don't be surprised, right? If you start gaining weight, because guess what? Before you couldn't metabolize all those foods that was going into your body. So we're just leaving the system. But now that I start giving you medications to break down, metabolize, does do what it needs to do, guess what? The weight kind of follows as well, too. So it's extremely important when you have your pre-diabetic patients and they're giving you symptoms, especially if, if I have any med students um, uh, on, the, uh, on the live tonight. When they start saying stuff like that, you have to be very concerned. They're like, all right, I may be talking to a raging diabetic and they don't even know it. I may be talking to a raging diabetic and they don't even know it, right? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Let's see here. Right, let's make some questions. We got to mention the keto uh, issue. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, someone asked my doctor. Yes, I am. Uh, wait, that's one. Oh, Manjaro. So now, so this, you know, this is interesting, right? Manjaro, this is a, a very, very popular drug right now. Now for, now it's for, that's funny, because it's one of those things where it's kind of like the uh, Viagra situation, right? Where, for those who may not know, when we were, uh, when Viagra first came out, um, it was trying to solve a problem with hair loss. Like hair loss was the primary reason why Viagra um, and Pfizer was like trying to test this medication. But an undoing side effect is that it was causing erections. All right. And they're like, whoa, like we got this medication causing erections. We're trying to treat the hair loss. Someone was like, hey, you know what? Bump the hair loss. Let's see. Let's go down this route. And then, you know, multiple, multiple billions of dollars later, there go Viagra, right? So Manjaro, again, is a medication for a diabetic medic for a diabetic patients, right? That's where it's typically for. Uh let's let's see if we can get the uh classification of Manjaro. Because I'm not sure what class of medication. Oh, is there terzazabine? Oh, okay. Uh, let's see here. So anti-diabetication for type two diabetics. Um, but again, one of the side effects is that uh, people are losing weight. Right. So they're like, and, and again, it's just one of those things where 
if you can metabolize what you're taking in appropriately, guess what? Your body can use it appropriately. When your body can't use the carbs that you're taking in, the protein that you're taking in, the fats that you're taking in, guess what? They start storing it, right? And then weight gain comes, sugar goes high, all of these problems. But you get a medication like this, this one, and I forget what the um, Ozampic is another one, where, and again, I, in fact, I should have, now that, now that, now that I say that loud, I'm going to see if, I'm, I'm going to see if I can get Dr. Boley to come do another episode, right? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about because those are two medications we probably should talk about. Um, but when you have a medication that can actually appropriately help you control your carbs, your proteins, your fat, guess what? Weight loss like happens, right? So it's one of those side effects where it's actually extremely difficult to get um, in the sense of if you are trying to get your you know, diabetic patient, um, they're going to, you might be on some back order, you might be having to wait because of the amount of people who are using it primarily for weight loss. And it works great for weight loss. It does a great job for weight loss because we haven't had, especially in the past probably decade or so, a lot of new medications for uh, obesity-related medicine, right? We haven't had a lot of new medications. So that, Ozampic, um, there's another one, uh, I think it's with Govi. I don't, well, you know what, what, what we'll do Next week's episode, we'll talk about those weight loss uh, OVC medications. Like I'll make it a point to talk about those because uh, we do get those questions. Um, but great drug for diabetes. Uh, I'm looking at the class of the, the pharmacology of it. Uh, yeah, GLP receptor inhibitor works. So it works great for doing exactly what it's supposed to do for our diabetics. Um, but one of its benefits is that it's helping people uh, lose some weight. Uh, which I, I definitely agree. Oh, yeah, someone says, uh, do you agree if Ozempic being utilized? So <laughs> I say, I love this, right? Do you agree if Ozempic being utilized for weight loss for those that aren't diabetics? Yeah, again, I think it's one of those things where uh, just kind of like Viagra, they went in thinking, hey, like we need a new medication for our diabetics because, hey, we're spending $1.3 trillion a year. And again, if you're on the flip side, if you're on the side of making money, like these pharmaceutical companies, these hospitals, the surgeons and everybody else who makes money from it, you're like, man, how can I get a piece of the pie? How can I get a piece of that $1.3 trillion? Oh, let me, let me shoot them another medication that would be great for the diabetics because our, the OG, right? Especially for those who take pills, um, the OG medication for diabetics is metformin. It's one of the oldest uh, medications around for metformin. But the reason why it's still around is because it is an amazing drug for those who can tolerate it. Now, there's some side effects and issues if you have kidney dysfunction, if you have allergies that you can't take it. But those who don't have that problem, it's an amazing, it's an amazing drug for it. So all of the newer medications have always been, hey, you know what? What other things can I add on to the armamentarium for our diabetics? And Insulin related um, issues, always, uh, you know, a problem, right? Like what ways can we do to help the body either break down carbs, metabolize what it needs to. So you have all of these newer medications that typically fall in line of the different class of medications. And then, of course, you know, Manjaro and Zampic are just another one of those line of medications. And again, the side effect is, is people are losing weight. So hey, that's another one that you'll be, you'll, you'll have, you'll have. Uh, extreme trouble uh, trying to just randomly get because of the scrutiny to make sure that hey we gotta make sure it's all going uh, uh, it's all going towards um, our diabetic patients for sure. Uh, someone says I did an all fruit diet 
and my glucose went up to 265. Yeah, no, that's that's likely going to happen because what typically happens is you you have to be kind of you have to be diligent, right? And that's why I was glad I got uh, Robbie on the show because when you hear someone say plant based, a plant and fruits and everything else, when you hear someone say that, like that's the first thing you're concerned about. Like, oh man, you're getting all of these types of uh, fruits and everything. Your sugar is gonna go through the roof. And he was very big. And like I said, I wish I wish I had uh, the name of his book, um, but I didn't write the name of his book on my my, my show notes. Um, but like he did a great job breaking down why. Um, he can have a plant-based diet with fruits, with vegetables, and not have to worry about his sugars going through the roof. He does a great job at the formulae behind it because there is a, it is a science. It's really just a science of making sure you're eating the right fruits, making sure um, you're eating it because he was not only was the right fruits and plants, um, but the right proportion, right? Maybe 60, 20, like he was, he's very big on that aspect there, right? Again, I, I, I should have took a refresher of it for sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, S. Roberts says that I was on dialysis for nine years, got a kidney transplant. Yes. First of all, congratulations. Hope everything is doing well uh, with the kidney transplant. And just, uh, you know, thankfully that you were able to get off dialysis, especially being on dialysis. I'm, you know, no one is no one's going to be able to tell you how you felt having to deal with that process. But when I talk to my patients, it's 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 never roses. Right. They always say they're always tired. They're always beat down. They're always fatigued dealing with, you know, this aspect of, you know, having to get dialysis, having to get the toxins taken out, given a couple of days and go right back to do it. Right. So I definitely commend you. I hope you're doing extremely well um, in that regard, especially with our transplant patients and everything else. Because I'll tell you, as an attorney, I know my I know my limits. Once a patient tells me that, hey, I've had a history of a transplant. Oh, you're going to you're going to my nephrology specialist. You're going you're going to those people because I don't I don't deal with the transplant folks, right? I just I, I just know better. <laughs> uh, someone says my birthday soon. No, it's not. It is not. Um, uh, Team Sagittarius. Uh, Team Sagittarius. Um, birthday's in December. Uh, let me see. Someone says I'm on vacation, finding it hard to maintain my keto and intermittent fasting. Yeah, it's just one of those things, especially especially when you're on vacation and. You know, most of those, most of the menus of foods and restaurants don't typically cater, right, to the typical keto diet, right? And then intermittent fasting may be a problem just because you're, I'm assuming your sleep cycle is likely different because you're on vacation as well, too. So it's just one of those things where, you know, you have to be diligent, right? You have, especially, especially those breakfasts, because you know, those breakfasts is always going to be carb city. We already know how that goes. Uh, Carp City on those breakfasts. So, um, and then the intermittent fasting. So you all, you're, you're trying to relax. You're trying to vacation. Everybody's either eating or drinking, right? Which obviously when you're keto is a problem, uh, <laughs> from that standpoint there. And just kind of to hold out. So I hope you do. You know, we're going to send you, we're going to send S. Johnson nothing but well wishes, uh, on vacation. Uh, and hopefully they make it back uh, into. But remember, and again, I love uh, again my friend uh, Dr. Celia Boley. Um, she talked about that. Remember, you know, the, you know, don't think of you know. Let's say if you got to cheat, right? Obviously, again, we 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 don't want a cheat meal, right, to turn into a cheat day, to happen into a cheat week, and then a cheat month. We don't want that to occur, right? So just gotta be diligent, uh, diligent with yourself, and make sure you got some good uh, support around you <laughs> for that show. Let's see. Oh, yep. Yeah, well, Govi. Yep. Yeah, well, that was it. 
I brought my A1C way down. Yes, yes. No, metformin. Someone says I felt like metformin did nothing. No, metformin. It's it's an OG medication. It's a very old school medication. It works how it needs to work, but it 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 kind of contemporizes everything. Like if your A1C is like six and a half to seven, boom, I throw you on some metformin. I I really focus on making sure we bring get that diet in order. And once we get that diet down, then, okay, all right, the metformin is kind of keeping it on cruise control. But a lot of times you need these other medications, right? The insulins of the world, right? The TZD medications of the world, the, the uh, 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 what are they? Um, the glipizide, the glimepiride, the uh, uh, semaglutinides. Like there's so many different medications you need to kind of help bring that A1C down. Whereas metformin just kind of keeps it a little bit comfortable. Keeps you a little bit comfortable. Hopefully makes it that you don't have those high bounces, but it is one of those things there for sure. Let's stay on point. Uh, Jardians. Oh, yeah. And uh, Rania says she had, was taking Jardians and ended up with gastroparesis. So gastroparesis, again, is a definitely a complication of some of the diabetic medications, but more importantly, just a complication of being a diabetic in general. And, you know, for a layman's term, when we think about what is gasparesis, think about like you guys, you go, you go to eat breakfast at eight o'clock and, you know, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, you're ready to eat again. So imagine that's, that's the norm for you. Now imagine when one o'clock come around, you go to eat lunch and you're so full after a couple, you're so full because the food you ate at eight o'clock is still in your stomach trying to do its thing. Right. Still in your small intestines trying to do its thing like it hasn't done the process where it moves through the system. And a lot of diabetics face that fact to the point where and then what happens? So think about it reflexively. If my normal if a normal time I should be able to eat is eight o'clock and then maybe one o'clock and then maybe six o'clock. All of a sudden it's eight o'clock. All right, that food don't really pass till like three, four o'clock. And then it'd be like eight, nine o'clock before I can eat again, right? So you tend to either eat much less, right? Or try to eat heavy, but you know the heavier you eat, the worse you feel because that food is just sitting there. And a lot of times, and especially in the hospital setting, uh, we'll have patients who come in with kind of intractable nausea and vomiting because they're trying to eat. And by the time that food hit, it's because it's like in line, it just comes right back up again. So uh, definitely a concern uh, for sure, gastroparesis being a diabetic, but there's definitely some medications um, that you have to avoid uh, it, just to make that kind of thing worse as well, too, uh, for, for that standpoint. All right. All right. So y'all y'all be blessed. Y'all have a great evening. Right. Sticking here on Thursday evenings. I love y'all. Um, I'm going to see you guys next week. Bye.